from the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I'm Dalton Rinshaw. As always, I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. I had a near heart attack on Saturday, but you know. What happened? Oh, it's just some sports thing. <laughs> Did it have anything to do with San Diego State and Utah State playing? Uh, vaguely related. I <laughs> uh, cannot confirm nor deny that. But uh, nearly had flashbacks mm. to a game last year. The Utah State also nearly lost. But mm. wasn't quite as bad, though. But mm. I, it was really weird because, you know, San Diego State, I was nearly right on my score prediction. Not the yeah. one I did on the podcast. It was the one I ended up putting in the paper, which I we both mentioned they were subject to change. And yeah. I, mine did. Because I predicted twenty four twenty three, you almost saw it. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> if I can, I text you during the game. I was like, if I am right, so help me. Yeah, I, I was gonna flip a desk. It was just, but but hey, they held on. Yeah, got the win. It was uh, something Utah State hasn't seen in a while. I actually remember I was on the field um, after the game, so um, I actually was there in San Diego covering the game for the Utah Statesman and USU student media and. Uh, I was there on the field after the game, and I saw John Hartwell come past as we're sitting there waiting for interviews. And I forgot who he was talking to, but he said, we did two things tonight. We beat San Diego State, something we haven't done in 52 years, and we also won a game after missing a kick late in the game. Yeah, there <laughs> so we like go. Exercised a couple demons all in one, which is yeah. I mean, great to see. But also, it's a great day because you're wearing your lobster shirt. Yes, I am wearing my so lobster shirt. so infamous for people who might have followed our coverage during the <laughs> basketball tournament last year. Yeah, it's going to be a it's a cult classic in the student meeting now. Or I don't know if that's the right phrase. but I, I think it's it's there. It's like Justin Bean's right here for uh, Utah State fans, and then <laughs> the lobster shirt's right below. Lobster shirt. <laughs> um, well, we got to get another one on the broadcast because it's only showed up visually in, yeah. in one medium now. Yeah. Well, maybe we just got to get you a rotation. Maybe next time it's not lobsters. Maybe it's llamas or something. Yeah, I, don't, so, I don't know if I can find a llama shirt. That's a problem. I feel like in Utah we could find some llama shirts. I feel like that's got to be a thing. Maybe. I don't know. Are there any llamas in Utah outside of a zoo? I don't know. Might have to ask Napoleon Dynamite. That happened <laughs> close close enough, right? That was in Idaho, though, wasn't it? <laughs> that's close enough. It's close enough to Logan. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Like, <laughs> everything in Idaho is close enough to Logan. That's so. true. All right. Well, I think we're getting a little off track here. So let's let's bring it back to uh, to like San Diego State. To San Diego State, <laughs> which I, which I mentioned before, I was there, and um, uh, just a couple. Were you there, Dalton? I I, I think uh, yeah. No, I was there. I was uh, if I remember correctly, I was in San Diego. The weather was a lot warmer. Uh, that was yeah, nice. it's probably a lot better. It, would, it probably would have been a lot better if you'd gone in like the winter time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have made it a lot more worth it. Because I guess yeah. it was like raining here over the weekend, and yeah, I actually kind of missed the rain a little bit, but. I mean, that's that's just my own personal preference. Maybe you should leave again and we get some more rain. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, show up to this week's game. Maybe there'll be a little bit of rain. That's what the forecast says, at least. Oh, geez, that'll be fun. But this isn't a weather podcast. This is a football podcast. At least we we think that's what people we, come we here think. for. We think. I mean, we can do the weather broadcast for <laughs> uh, this upcoming game, give you the full rundown on temperatures could, and all that. Could do it. Or not. <laughs> or l- let's just talk about San Diego State. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it really was like um, – you know, being in the stadium, it was interesting because, you know, for for all the trouble people give uh, Utah State and, you know, Maverick Stadium not being full all the time and stuff like that, um, I tweeted out that, that I think there was 27,000 people, a little bit more, at the game, and it felt completely empty. Like, yeah. even for having, you know, that many people there, which would be over Maverick Stadium capacity, um, 
it was really a, a, a poor atmosphere and and it could have you know had something to do with the game not necessarily being san diego state's favor the whole time um but honestly like their student section wasn't that great it was just you know kind of made you uh, a little bit more appreciative of what happens in logan even if you know w- wish there's a, a couple more people like it still have a pretty good atmosphere yeah the, the students really show up in force i mean the strike the stadium when we're playing an fcs nobody yeah they filled pretty much the whole student section it's the uh what my brother usually calls the old fogey section <laughs> basically everywhere else in the stadium that's where it's usually yeah. lacking and that's where it only fills up for like you know BYU, Utah, yeah, big Boise ones. State, like those were the there's like those were the only three games they'll manage to fill up the stadium is against those three opponents. Yeah. One of which we're probably never going to play again. But mm. well, yeah. I don't know if we'll ever see Utah come, at least come back to Logan. And we'll probably play Utah again, but in Logan, probably yeah, never. probably probably not for a while. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, and and luckily, you know, we have a couple of those teams on the schedule this year, so we'll we'll get to see the fans come out. But um. So let's talk about San Diego State. Let's let's talk about what actually happened during the game, and uh, points were scored. Points were scored. Uh, more were scored. Yards were had. Field goals were made and missed. <laughs> Field goals, exactly. Field goals were made and were missed. And um, overall, Utah State didn't have their best game. I, you know, it's kind of one of those games where you might look at the box score and just think like, "Dang, how did this team win?" But I mean, they pulled out the win. They are actually pretty dominant for the most part. And I know we, we both went uh, went back and watched some of the film. I think we both only have watched the first half so far. But yeah. um, something that really became evident and just watching that little bit was how how well Utah State's defense played, especially in the second quarter and kind of like towards the end of the second or the second part of the first quarter, right? Yeah, I, I really like the defensive performance. I mean, that that first possession it was really wor- it was worrying because it felt like a game where. You know, they were slowing them down, but it was only slowing them down. Mm-hmm. It was kind of that bend but don't break, break defense that can be really frustrating when it's like they had them in four straight third downs. Yeah. And I think two of them at least were like third and long. Maybe three of them were third and long. I can't remember exactly. But they converted all of them. Yeah. And then they got down to the end of the field, and finally Utah State stopped them on a third down uh, thanks to a couple of good uh, near goal line plays around like the five-yard line. Mm-hmm. And so – that first drive was like, if this is how the the drive's going to go. And I mean, the first drive ended. The first drive of the game ended at seven forty nine in the yeah. first quarter. So, yeah, you really thought at that point, like, okay, if Utah State can't get some points on the board now, this is just going to be a habit. San Diego State's going to have the ball for forty minutes and like they're done. Yeah, yeah. So that was definitely that that feeling. I mean, everyone was tweeting out. Me and you were both like, you know, watching the game. Like, this is not good. Like, it wasn't awful. It wasn't disastrous. Nothing of the sort. They kicked a field goal on their first possession. Right. That is, uh, of all the starts on defense, that's middle of the list probably. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after that position, though, is, is really where I definitely picked up. Because you mentioned those four straight first downs or first downs I got on third down, third down conversions. Mm-hmm. If you include the third down they failed to convert at the end of that drive, they started off four for four and then went over 11 on third down yeah. to into the second half. Yeah. Which... I didn't realize it at the time, but when I went back and looked, I was like, holy crap, that is amazing. Yeah, and it was interesting because, like, at least this is just, like, my dumb football brain, the way I watched it, but it looked like they really switched up the way that they were covering San Diego State, especially the, the their run game, where it seemed like they were really just crashing hard every single play on that first drive and kind of missing a lot of tackles. And then I just noticed them being a lot more patient and, like, waiting for San Diego State to get to them and then making the tackle and, like, that 
basically changed the game because now San Diego State, they had no passing offense the whole first half. So now if you're not getting those, you know, three, four yard rush games, you're in a third and long every single time and Utah State can stop that. Yeah, and it was, it was after that they, they finally stopped giving up those 10 or 11 yard passes yeah. on third and long. But yeah, the run game was good because the, the front seven was playing really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, I mean, David Woodward kind of rebounded from a, well, I shouldn't say rebound because, you know, playing Stony Brook and only played about half yeah. the game. We had like three tackles in that game. Probably just a statistical thing, right? Yeah, it's it's just kind of an anomaly that you can explain away pretty easily. It's not like he had a bad game. It was just a blowout game. Yeah, exactly. We had 13 tackles, seven solo, six uh, six assists. He was everywhere. Again, they they play a lot of their defense to allow David Woodward to make plays. Yeah. And he runs freely a lot. Yeah. And he did really well. DJ Williams was absolutely insane in the tackle game. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about this. Because corners getting tackles is usually a red flag to me. Right. It's like, why is your corner getting tackles? But when you, you kind of watch the film, it's like he's making tackles in key situations. It's not necessarily the kind where his man catches it and he's tackling but A lot of them were, you know, run plays. Yeah. He, he was making plays. Yeah, I noticed a lot of the ones, I think I wrote it down a couple times when I was watching the film back that um, he was playing like either they played a lot of man in the first half and he was either playing man back on his, his, his uh, you know, his target as a receiver. And then he notices a run and he'd crash really hard and get the get the runner, which is like, that's great. That's perfect. That's what you want to see from your cornerback, right? Yeah, you want you want to see him be able to do just about everything. So, yeah. I and mean, he can even blitz a little bit, too. I think last year he showed that off a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and just really everybody in the front seven, I guess DJ William included, even though he's part of the secondary, just had a good game. You can't really point to somebody who had a bad game. Cause, I mean, you look at you know Justice Tate, Tipinale finally had kind of a bit of a breakout game. Mm-hmm. I think it was like three tackles for loss. Am I looking at this right? I think yeah, yeah, something like I know. I know he had uh, yeah. yeah, he had three tackles three. for loss. He had a sack. Uh, just pretty much everybody. Yeah. Well, and even like um, Tae, somebody like you brought up, like when you go back and watch it, he sticks out a lot more than when you were just watching the game live. Like there are so many things he was doing and, you know, trying to stop the run and funnel the runners. And then even in pass coverage, like they did a couple things. And uh, speaking of pass coverage, there's one play I want to I want to point out because I thought it was just beautifully designed the way it happened. The the Shaq Bond pick six, which was the first points on the board for the Aggies. Right. Which would kind of like turned around the game in a way, because like, you know, if if. You know, they had a third, three and out right before that. Give the ball back to San Diego State, and you don't know what's going to happen after that, right? Yeah, it's like another seven-minute drive. Yeah, Here exactly. We well, we'll see you in the second quarter, I guess. But, <laughs> um, you know, Bond got the pick six, and a big part of that was uh, the way that they structured their line where they had Halle come in and, you know, rush for just a second, drop back into coverage, and he made that beautiful tip to get, you know, Shaq Bond able to get on the end of it. But um, just a lot of things they were doing were just really, really well designed, and it seemed like you know, what you want to see out of a team that doesn't always close properly, right? You want to see them make those adjustments. adjustments, And I, I thought they did a beautiful job of doing that. Yeah, and one thing, in, you know, even though San Diego State got those two late touchdowns, one of them was kind of a fluke just because uh, Agnew was running all over the place and he found a guy after, like, 15 seconds. Yeah. Of, like, sometimes you're going to leave a guy wide open after 15 <laughs> seconds. Literally the longest play in the history of college football. Yeah. Um, but the fact on that last drive, when – all the chips are down. It's like, all right, you've given up two touchdowns, all the momentum to San Diego State, mm-hmm. and you missed a field goal, and it's like, oh, holy crap, this could go really badly really quickly. Utah State didn't just put their foot down. They freaking stomped on San yeah. Diego State's throat so hard. I'm pretty sure that program's dead now for <laughs> how hard they nailed down that last drive and just utterly 
wiped out any chance of San Diego State winning that game. Yeah, it was funny too because like you really did think San Diego State was gaining the momentum at that point, especially like the the two touchdowns. Um, they have the uh, they have the the two touchdowns and then they have the missed kick, right? And so you're like, okay, all right, here we go again. We we've seen this a million times before. Um, but yeah, they 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 stopped them. And what I thought was really interesting is that. Like the game completely changed, like you said, when Ryan Agnew started to get on the run and started to throw the ball from the run it was like something they should have done far earlier in the game, but they just weren't doing it. Yeah, yeah, I just I don't know anything that really. Just... Yeah, I mean, it, it was just a great way to end the <laughs> yeah. game. It really was just something you haven't seen a lot, and it's something that you hope you know going into game, maybe not necessarily Colorado State this week, but who knows we'll see but i mean definitely in the next week against lsu where it's like if you're going to have any chance to be in that game you're going to have to be able to play and make adjustments and you know be the team that you want to see on paper right yeah and then they have to make the plays at the right times at the crucial times Cause yeah and it's something that we've talked about you know half of everybody's written about and we've talked about on this podcast just finishing close games because i forget all the specifics i think they were like four and 13 or something like that in the last five or six years in games decided by less than a touchdown this added a win to that total now it's like five and 13 or five and 12 again i don't remember the exact record but it was something to that effect where it was bad yeah and their their wins were against teams like oh i think a couple of them were was this the same one we're looking at where it's like san jose state were a couple of them or is this a different different i think one of them was like colorado state Mm, okay and you know, just they weren't super impressive. Right, their, their wins over close games weren't super impressive. I think one of them was like SUU. Okay, so yeah, and I mean, like as 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 poor as some parts went, if you want to say that, or just things that didn't go right, it was still an impressive win, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was too much bad. The only bad thing about the game was red zone offense. Yeah, that is something that will become an yeah. issue definitely. Because you look at getting to the red zone, they didn't really have any problem. I mean, they kicked three field goals of under 35 yards. Yeah. Uh, under 32, so like 32, 29, and 30. And, I mean, those are all, I think, within the 20-yard line as yeah. far as distance. I don't want to do the math in my head, but... Well, yeah, you subtract 17 for the field goal, so that you're, you're definitely within red zone. Yeah. So it's just like, you can't have that many. One or two, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll give you that. But, yeah, yeah, red zone, you mentioned red zone, it could become a problem... Because it's something that's almost like showing up in all the games, especially when you look at Jordan Love's uh, scoring. He's yeah. not done a lot of it, which he has a lot of yards. So you wonder why he's getting the yards and not the touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll see if yeah, we'll this see really if does become a problem. But it, it 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 it's a red flag to watch for. Yeah. Well, and you know, let, let's go into uh, looking at a couple of the players that we thought had a really good game from this one. And kind of ironically, one of one of the players that had a, a pretty decent game again uh, actually got the one red zone touchdown that they had during the game. Yeah. That was Jalen Warren, who, uh, you know, just continues to impress, just continues to play well. Yeah, I was really impressed because I didn't think anyone was really going to have any sort of a good rushing game for Utah State. No. Outside of maybe if you broke out a big run. But Jalen Warren, I think his longest run was probably like 12 or 13 yards. 12, or something yeah. Like that. And so he 17 carries and... A couple of decent 10-plus yard rushes, but, you know, 74 yards, that's not world-breaking, but that's a good, solid. I mean, if you average 74 yards a game over a college season, you're somewhere around 1,000 yards, I think. Do some quick yeah, math. well, and then, like... You'll, you'll have 888 exactly how many Joe oh, Brandt exactly. last year, so... <laughs> so that's a pretty good total. It's it's not bad at all for one game, especially in a 4.4 yards per carry average. And, yeah. And so I, I was really impressed with how Jalen Warren was able to have a good game. And I think... I think I mentioned it as kind of one of the things that, was, that would really help Utah State is if they had 
a, run, a rusher was able to have a good game. Right. Uh, to complement Jordan Love's um, throwing yards, which I assumed he would get, and he did. So, Which is funny because they still didn't get as much as I thought they would have to to kind of feel comfortable in it. Um, and, you know, they were pretty much comfortable for two quarters or so in the game. Um, but I remember vividly looking at the box score at one point and and tweeting out something to the effect of, like, if you were just looking at Utah State's stats right now, you'd think they were down because they were not having a good game statistically. But, yeah. you know, Warren ends up with 75. The team ends up with 97 total rushing. Uh, uh, Jordan Love ends up just shy of 300 again and had a, a pretty good game passing the ball. Um, a lot of those incompletions that he had, he only had 17 of them, but a lot of incompletions were, you know, either receivers uh, just a couple times not running the right route, a couple drops. And so, like, I mean, really – not not a ton you can take away and say that it was a bad performance. I think overall, pretty decent. Yeah, I think one of the things that impressed me a bit about Jordan Love is that this is a game where I felt like he was going to have to have some patience because San Diego State was not giving him a lot in the way because he loves to throw the deep ball. He loves to throw yes. those 20, 30-yard passes, and they weren't giving that to him. They were very much keep it in front of – they were trying to keep it in front of the defense and then tackle, which they did a pretty good job of for pretty much the entire game. Mm-hmm. And But Jordan Love, he took what he could get what did he get? And he was patient. And he also dealt with some pressure, which I, I've been critical of Jordan Love's uh, performances under pressure. But I felt like against San Diego State, he maybe he looked a little panicked, but he made the play, which, right. to be honest, if you make the play, it doesn't really matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you look like you're about to crap your pants. Mm-hmm. He made the play. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you look like he was scared. He did the job, and he did it consistently enough that it didn't feel like a fluke. Right. So I was really impressed with that aspect of his game, with how he handled the pressure, found his open man. You know, because a lot of times his first read wasn't there, so he had to find a second read, yep. and third read, and he found them, got the ball to them with a high degree of efficiency, in my opinion. Well, and even like some of the plays where, um, you know, he he was directly under pressure and had to make a quick decision where he's going to throw the ball. Um, watching back a couple of those plays, you know, instead of trying to force the ball to the outside receiver, which has resulted in a lot of those interceptions, right? Um, he would either take the short pass or, you know, kind of just throw it into a safe area and like just move on to the next play, which I yeah. thought was great because, you know, <laughs> if you can eliminate those, those kind of, you know, I guess dumb interceptions for lack of a better word. Um, like he overall throws the ball pretty well, pretty decisively. And that's kind of like what we've always harped on is like just the, the decision-making is what he needs to improve on a little bit. And talking about throws he made under pressure, I highlighted one cause it just, I thought it was such, such a great play. The last play of the first quarter, um, he was under a ton of pressure and it looked like he had Devin Tompkins on an inside route. Um, and the defense kind of crashed in, and he didn't throw the ball, rolled out just for a second longer, and caught Jalen Warren on, like, a swing pass for about, you know, 10 yards or so. It was like, that's the kind of stuff you want to see is, like, that first read, like you're saying, bypass that if it's not there, and just wait a little bit longer for something to open up, and I thought he did an excellent job of doing that. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see that composure, and then, obviously, he showed that patience in taking those short routes, but eventually, he found his man for a long pass. He yeah. found Savon Scarborough. I think it was like a forty-eight yard pass or something yeah. to that effect. And he just barely underthrew the ball. If he would have like yeah. hit him perfectly, it would have been a, a clear touchdown. Yeah, we'll give him that slight margin for error. But yeah, he he definitely had an overall good game. Even though statistically, you wonder if because sixty-three percent here under sixty-four percent, a six-point-two yards per attempt is not spectacular. No. Um, well, and I think a lot of it was like kind of what we talked about. I think he was just trying to take the safe stuff a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and the fact that San Diego State tackled really well, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, against a lesser team, that, that never might have been pushed up two or three yards because you'd have some bigger plays made out of it. Mm. So, but, you know, again, he's 
short of 300 yards again. <laughs> We're going to get into this later about why it frustrates me that he's short of 300 yards. Um for this close maybe maybe in the yards. future we might see something on social media that why, might indicate why <laughs> <laughs> yes yes <laughs> just a will. little teaser to keep keep track of the usu statesman and jason walker twitter in the future yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the no touchdowns is i wouldn't say it's a red flag it's like an orange one yeah <laughs> it's like you don't need your quarterback to be throwing touchdowns but you'd like him to he did last year so it's like yeah I, I, first and foremost you want him to make the right decisions and you know keep keep a hold of possession and he did that. So I yeah, think that, that's, that's why I say win. that's why I say it's not a red flag. It's just like right. okay, yeah. he didn't throw a touchdown. Tom Brady I think has won a couple of Super Bowls while throwing like zero touchdowns. So Right. It's 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 by the substance, not necessarily the the final stat sheet. Yeah, we could go through a million cliches about <laughs> you know <laughs> describing the, his performance in that way. But um so let's let's just kind of uh move off of this game <laughs> and move on to kind of the next portion of the podcast. But before we do, um Anything else that you want to talk about that might have stuck out to you that either you think will play a part later in the season or just kind of something that was interesting to see that you were glad to see out of this game? I don't know. I mean, not much else. I, I mean, Cameron Haney coming back and playing pretty That's well That's what I secondary. wanted to talk about, yeah. Uh, That's probably the biggest one as far as impact down the road. Other than that, it's kind of same old, same old from the offense. You had good games out of Jalen Warren, C.O.C. Mariner, Savon Scarver, Caleb yeah. Rep. But Caleb Rep was less involved, but you know, still good for him. So yeah, it, it is kind of same old, same old outside of maybe seeing Cameron Haney come back and uh, make an impact positively for the secondary defensively. Yeah, which he made an immediate impact having. We were looking back at the stats a couple of minutes ago, and you know he had three pass breakups just in that game alone. And like yeah. as soon as he got on the field, you could tell like the secondary was a lot more settled. Yeah, and in the one game, he's now tied for the lead on the team in pass breakups <laughs> yeah. after one game. After one game. So same as DJ Williams and uh, who's the other one? Shaq Bond, I uh, Shaq Bond, yeah. Who, if, if there's anything else to point out um, coming out of this game, and this might not be a trend, maybe this is just me kind of fanboying a little bit, but I thought Shaq <laughs> Bond's game was awesome, and I yeah. really love seeing him play that position. Yeah, I think he could be a lot of an input player. I'd say one probably my favorite player from last year's defense was John Trill Rocklemore. Yeah. Just his versatility, like you can't really describe what position he played. Right. But I, I'd like to see Utah State manage to have another player like that. I don't think they have anybody on this roster, but I think Shaq Bonds might be as close as we get to seeing another Rocklemore who's able to kind of make those impact plays, tackles for loss and interceptions, yep. and plays in the run game and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think I definitely feel watching this game, uh, you know, kind of nervous going into it. I feel a lot more settled about where this team is and kind of like how they actually are as a unit after after watching this yeah. game, which uh, you know will be. Uh, I don't know if we, if we were ever worried about necessarily going to Colorado <laughs> State, but you know it's definitely a lot more you know reassuring to know the team's got a lot of their holes kind of ironed out up to this point, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're uh we'll we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about that Colorado State game and kind of just break down a little bit of what we see, break down some maybe the the key players that might or might not be playing in this one, and uh, kind of just relive maybe some of the <laughs> the highlights from last year's I don't know if you want to call it debacle or miracle, but whatever it was, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. All right, stick with us. We'll be back. Text FOOTBALL to 435-797-2346 for a chance to win two tickets to a USU football home game. Hello and welcome back to the Statesman Sports Desk podcast. And it is now time for everyone's favorite new segment here 
It is called Records Watch. And now we turn it over to Jason Walker, our reporter in the field. Jason, what do you have for us? Well, we've got four records that we're going to look at today. This is something I've been working on for the last probably season and a half, just keeping an eye on a lot of records. Last year was relevant because they broke like 30 of them, uh, spread across different players and the team overall. We're going to look at four today. They're all individual, summer career, summer season. This first one we're looking at is career scoring, which is currently held uh, by Robert Turbin uh, with 308 points, which is interesting because running backs don't typically have uh, career scoring records, but he obviously the best scorer in Aggie history so far. The current uh, candidate to break the record, and most likely if he doesn't, I'll be very surprised. Uh, Dominic Eberly currently has 281 points, so he needs all of like 27 at this point to break the record. He could have that one by Thanksgiving. Uh, he, he's had games where he's almost had that many points. So, I mean, last year he had, I think, 141 points. He's 30 points now through three games, so I mean, at this pace, he needs three more games. So very likely to break. The only thing that, uh, the only reason he won't break this record is if he breaks his leg. That's about <laughs> that's about the only way he won't uh, he won't break this record. It was pretty much a, a sure thing coming into the season because he needed like 50 something, and he's Here already halfway there. So. All right, what do we got next? So the next one is career 300-yard passing games. Teased this one earlier that I'm, I'm really frustrated because Jordan Love is so close, and he's had games of 294 and 293 yards this season. And that's because he is currently at nine 300-yard passing games, if I've done my mathematics right. So he's one away from tying Jose Fuentes and Brent Snyder for 10 career 300-yard passing games. He's got nine at the moment. He's one more to, to tie the record. Another one after that to break the record. I, this is one that I considered very likely coming into the season because he was so close and he had like six last year or something like that. So if he stops just coming really close and flirting with 300 yards and actually finishes the right. job, then he'll, he'll finally break this it's one. It's quite incredible that he's averaging over 300 yards and has failed to hit 300 yards twice. Yeah, it's what happens when you throw for 400 and yards in a game. So, yes. Yeah, this is one that he should break, uh, considering I expect him to average north of 300 yards this season, and get a few more. Especially when you look at Colorado State, he's probably gonna he's probably gonna throw for a lot of yards against Colorado State. We'll I think get we're gonna get one week. up on there yeah. definitely this weekend. So our next one that we're looking at, this is one that I thought was a bit of a far cry early in the season, but it's it's interesting. You might come close. So it's season total tackles. The record. Held by, uh, I don't know if I can say this name right, Tony Diamato, I believe. Sure. Correct us, Utah State yeah. History Twitter. That or I spelled it wrong and I autocorrected to something else somehow. But <laughs> that he had 170 tackles. I believe he, this was a, I didn't put down the year he had this. I think it was late 90s. Sometime in the 1990s, he had 170 tackles in a season. And David Woodward, he had 134 last year and currently has 41. Now, to get 170 tackles, if we're assuming David Woodward, you know, the, the Aggies will play 13 games, so a bowl game. If I do my math correctly. Computing. <laughs> I did multiplication instead of division, <laughs> so I'd have like 2,000-something. He needs to average 13 tackles a game, slightly over. It's like 13.07. Currently, 41 per game, 
he's averaging north of what he needs to average. He's averaging like 13.7. Doable. Or 13.6666666667. However you want to do the <laughs> mathematics there. Um, it's been a bit of an up and down because he had like the 24 tackles against uh, Wake Forest. Uh, I forget the exact total. But then he had like three against... Four. Uh, four against yeah. uh, Stony Brook. And then he had 13 against... Uh, San Diego State, which I think is going to be a lot more indicative because he went from one extreme to another extreme, and then he's right in the middle. Right in the middle. I think he's going to average in that 13, 14. Um, so he could very well break this. I thought it was going to be difficult for him to do that, but if he ends up playing 13 games, it's very possible for him to break this. And that would put him up in the leaders for the NCAA. He's, I think, top eight right now, and he's played three games. Most of those guys have played four. 170 is one of those stats that you look at and it's almost like the MLB home run record when you look at it and you're just like, is somebody really going to get to 70 home runs this season? It's, cre- yeah. it's incredible. But all right, so what do you got next? All right, so next one, this one we're kind of amalgamating like two or three records in here. The one that I did in a, an article preseason was junior season passing yards. Um, this could also be just single season passing yards if you want to throw that in there. But uh, Jordan Life, he currently holds the freshman and sophomore records. His sophomore year, he threw for like 1,600, 1,800, broke Kent Myers' record, uh, which was like 1,200. And then junior season, he set the single season record. He broke Chucky Keaton, who Chucky Keaton also held the sophomore. Like they both <laughs> had their single season records in their sophomore season. So Jordan Love threw for 3,500 last season. The number he's chasing for the junior record is it's Jose Fuentes. His name pops up again. He's at 3,100, exactly 3,100. Mm. Jordan Love is currently at 1,000. He's, he's 1,003. He's a third of the way there, through three games, well on pace. He's on pace, if you look at a 13-game season, he's on pace for 4,300. So this is one that could go down a few games before the end of the year. Yeah, most likely. Again, this is another one where it's like you think injuries or something drastically going wrong are really the only thing that keeps him from breaking the junior season record. As far as the single season, there are factors that could go into him not maintaining his pretty high pace. You because know, I think he needed to average. We need to average about 270. That was his average last year. Right now he's like 300. I think it's 330, 340. Something like that. I mean, honestly, the way they've been throwing the ball with the amount of volume, I don't think it's going to be that far off. Yeah, and, and that's another record. We won't go too much in depth, but completions and attempts is one you can keep an eye on. Because, yeah, he's slinging the ball a lot, and he's going to keep slinging the ball a lot. So. So let's uh, is that is that the last one you have? Yeah, you that's have the last one. one. Those are the four that I had. So he, he, these are four records that they're pretty much all pretty likely to break. Um, the, the the tackles one is probably the least likely, and even then he's still on pace for it through three games. So those those are our four records. Keep an eye on those among others. Keep following my work with the states, but I'll keep posting in uh, and. Uh, telling everybody about it and now back to you Dalton this is Jason Walker I've been reporting from Logan Utah back to you Dalton thanks Jason uh beautiful work on that coverage and we will keep an eye on that for the future I think a lot of those will really be safe to be keeping in on uh keeping an eye out for the next couple weeks I feel like uh Dominic Eberle is probably going to drop in a couple weeks I feel like Jordan Love maybe not too much longer after that and especially if uh he can get a good game this weekend against Colorado State which turns us over to our next portion of the podcast and that is talking about said rams and kind of uh what we expect coming into this one and i want to just start off by asking the question 
is this team that much different from the team that they nearly lost to last year in Fort Collins? I don't know if they could be any less <laughs> similar. Because last year had a very much grinded out feel. It was a cold weather game. Not a whole lot of offense. It ended up being, you know, Utah State score. Oh, I forget the score. It was like 29-23 or something like that. Yes. Something close to 30, mid-20s for both teams generally. I thought I pulled up the box score for for last year's game, but, you know. It's 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 irrelevant. It, it was Utah State won by, I believe, six points. Yeah. Might have been by five because they scored the five. touchdown and were at it and had already um, okay. surpassed Utah Okay, well, we're, we're perfectionists, total. so we're going to look up, look it up exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm about five seconds away from it. So 24-29. There we go. And I was at that game. So we talk about you being at San Diego State. This is a game I went to. I went there uh, more on personal terms, I guess. I don't know how to say that. I went there as a fan, not as a reporter. Mm. I uh, was there with my brother who was living in Colorado at the time, so that was kind of the excuse. So I went and visited him, and we went to the game. Uh, so it was me and two of my brothers. One of them was not there because he lives in Wisconsin. So. so you're telling me you went personally without pay to Fort Collins on a snowy day in November? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Jason just loves it. <laughs> it was it was a cold game, uh, and that definitely impacted the how Utah State played and um, and that last play. I don't know how many Aggie fans still remember it, but you know I was so that corner where they scored the touchdown. I was I was a ways up, but mm-hmm. I was that was the corner we had the view from, and so I was just watching the play, and they throw it up, and I'm just like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, <laughs> and he catches it, and it's just like. You know, it's over. All, all the cuss words. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, and I was looking, you know, on those plays, if you're desperate, you look for a flag. You're just like something. And then as I was kind of watching it, you know, going through the five stages of grief in two minutes, because <laughs> I had gone there to watch Utah State win their 10th straight game of the season and, you know, have a historic year, continue going up in the rankings. And all that's going away. It's all crumbling in front of your eyes. And and then I noticed a referee's hat on the field, yes. on the sideline. And there was a spark. And I was like, because I know exactly what that means. It means maybe the receiver stepped out of bounds, because that's what they usually do. And I was like, hold on a second. Let's wait. I didn't say wheels anything. But, I was, but then, yeah, the wheels were turning. I was like, wait a minute. You see the, the referees were meeting. And then it was you and Matt Wells both. I remember watching yeah. it on TV and just seeing Matt Wells standing in front of the, the, the middle of the field, right? Like right where it happened and just stone faced for about two minutes while this all went down. Yeah. And so just eventually, and this was feeling like forever. And then, and then you see the flag come out and I was like, bam, I know exactly <laughs> what that is. And the referee was like, and I thought they're going to replay the down, but then the referee is like, that's the end of the game. And I was like, you know, just like shocked face mm-hmm. and, you know, hug both my brothers, throw my hat in the air. And it's just like, just jubilation. Yeah. Quite a similar scenario. Not quite as cold, but I remember uh, me and a, m- a couple of friends went to Buffalo Wild Wings for the game. And I remember a- a- as soon as the play happens, you know, the touchdown's called, you don't see the hat on the field yet. And just every Aggies fan in there, cause it was packed, it was packed in Buffalo. Everyone just gets up. Yeah, same. All the cuss words start shouting, whatever, yeah. and then collectively you see everyone kind of start settling down a little bit, turning to the turning to the TVs and be like, "Hold on a second now." Yeah. And then same after the flag comes out, just a collective cheer and sigh of relief. But yeah, yeah, it was it was something to behold. Yeah, it, it was just 
it was one of the more interesting sports experiences I've ever had in my life, and it's one that I won't forget anytime soon. The absolute, I don't even want to call it roller coaster. Like, it's more like the, the Tower of Terror, whatever they call it in Disneyland, yeah. where you're just going straight up and down. There's no forward and backward. It's no. straight up and down. <laughs> <laughs> it's an elevator. Terrifying elevator. So hopefully for the uh, hearts and minds and health of every Aggie fan out there, this year will be a little bit different. Yeah, I'm hoping so, and, and I expect it will. This is, you know, this, last year's Colorado State team ended 3-9 and nine in Utah State, barely beat them, but I think this year the fact that we're playing at home, it's not going to be a cold-weather game, among other factors, I think, will really change this to a point where I think Utah State should win comfortably. So it's just... Do you want me to go into those points? No, let's let's start out with uh, <laughs> just a couple of news and notes before we do so um, about the game. And so starting off, you know, you talk about one, one of the actual few bright spots in that game last year was the play of Colin Hill. And he will be out of this one. Uh, you know, it'll be Patrick O'Brien again for his second straight game playing quarterback, um, who, interesting enough, we're doing a little research on him. Apparently, he was a top ten quarterback in the nation coming out of uh, out of high school and going to Nebraska, which, you know, maybe to <laughs> some of the people who have watched him this season might be a little bit surprising. But yeah, so it, it is surprising to me because you know when I initially was doing my research into Colorado State, because you know, me being the complete expert of Colorado State, I oh yes. I had to go look up you know, just it's all stuff because I knew nothing about Colorado As you did, State. Yeah. And when I first saw Colin Hill, I was actually impressed by his season stats. And then I realized he only played two and a half games because mm-hmm. he, he tore his ACL against uh, Arkansas. Yeah. And I saw the play as actually because <laughs> the defender comes in low and hits him after the play. Yeah. It's it's one of those that you don't like watching. Yeah. You, know, you hate to see it. Because um, he threw for 360-plus yards in both his first games, and he had seven touchdowns, was, I think, top ten in the nation in yards. Mm-hmm. And was having a really good breakout season before that. Uh, injury and then Patrick O'Brien comes in and he threw for 406 yards or 400 something yards. I I can't remember the it's, it's just over 400 yards against Toledo and they're lot there's 41-35 loss to Toledo. And when I saw that I was like, well, uh, I guess that means 405 yards. I thought, well, that means that uh, they're doing just fine at the quarterback position. Well, then I went and watched the game. Now I. I Watching telling the first three quarters, then I, I had to go to bed because I have a life and a job at <laughs> four in the morning. So, fair enough. You know, I, I was watching the game and I was like, I was waiting for him to have a moment that impressed me, and it never happened. Like his stat line impressed me. You know, all, all these different things. The overall play of the offense seemed to impress me. His none of his throws impressed me. I felt like he was constantly off target. Mm. I feel like his wide receivers just really picked up the slack. He has a lot of good wide receivers. Just like he, he was stretching their catch radius yeah. a lot. And these kids have big catch radius because half of them are like six foot two and above. Yeah. So let's actually go into that. So some of the some of the players that we'll have to look out for in this one um, will be will be those wide receivers. They have um, a guy who just made his first appearance last week. Um, against Toledo by the name of Nate Craig Myers, who actually is another transfer 
Um, this time from Auburn, a four star coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, quite a big receiver, six foot two, big bodied, um, looks really athletic. So he might be a matchup problem. Um, but then another player who will be out of this one, um, w- w- most likely, it looks like as of right now, he's listed as doubtful, will be Warren Jackson, who is a six foot six receiver. Uh, for the Rams. So yeah. and again, maybe another thing where you look at the size matchup and could potentially be a problem for Utah State. Yeah, that was a problem in the last game because you look at a lot of Colin Hill's successes because he was throwing to tall receivers and Utah State had a problem against tall receivers yeah. last year. Are you Preston Williams? <laughs> yeah, he had he had a big game and I believe he was the one that, that caught that. Yep. Wasn't a touchdown, but was yes. kind of yes. the called back touchdown. I think Preston Williams in the NFL now, if I'm he not sure mistaken. Is. So some, some good receivers and some hype, but yeah, Jackson being out will be really good because he had 31 receptions this year. He was he'd almost already set career highs through four games. I mean, the year before he had like 32 catches for 400 something yards, and this year he was he is at 31 and like 30 350, like 31 catches 350 something yards. So he was he was already having his career <laughs> year, obviously throwing a lot of the the yards that you know Colin Hill, Patrick O'Brien have had. Those yards had to go to somewhere, and uh, Jackson was one of the primary things. But I don't think Utah State's out of the woods with uh, with Jackson's injury, mainly because of um, yeah, Nate. I forget the second part of his yeah, last Nate name. Nate Craig Myers. Nate Craig Myers. Yeah. Because, you know, when I first looked at the season stats for uh, Colorado State, he didn't stick out because he's like fifth or sixth in all the season totals. Mm-hmm. But he made his debut against Toledo, like you said. So his five catches for 88 yards stand out a lot more when you realize that was his first game of the year. Yeah. And with Jackson out, he's going to be a guy that they're going to throw to more. And he's obviously a talented receiver. He was, you know, four, four and a half star recruit. ESPN really let him. I think he was like the third best wide receiver in their like top 300 rankings coming out of high school. So this is not a nobody. No. And, and so this, this could really be a challenge. Uh, for Colorado State, and the thing is, Colorado State's averaging north of thirty points a game. Like, so there's a reason they're scoring all these points. Yeah, well, and it might end up being uh, the case where you know their leading rusher <laughs> last weekend, uh, who's you know another player listed as doubtful right now with the separated shoulder, Marvin Kinsey. Uh, he had two forty nine last week against Toledo. Um, if if they can't get him to go, really, they didn't have too many performers behind him last week. Maybe they're going to turn to throwing the ball a lot more, and you know, maybe somebody like Nate Craig Myers does stick out in the game. Yeah, well, I think they are going to throw the ball a lot because they <laughs> O'Brien threw the ball fifty two times. It's a lot again. Yeah, that's 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 that'd be a career high for Jordan Love. Jordan Love's never made it that far, and the fact that I think this game's going to be a bit of a shootout, not a bit of a shootout. It's going to be a shootout, <laughs> <laughs> at least on Utah State's end. And so yeah, they're going to have to throw the ball out. And you mentioned Kinsey, great rusher. He's had, you know, back-to-back 100-plus yard games, really impressive games, especially against Toledo. And I feel like he was a lot more of the lifeblood of their offense against Toledo than O'Brien was. Yeah. Because it felt like he was bailing out O'Brien and extending drives. Oh, the other thing that kept extending Colorado State's drives were penalties. There Some was one drive that Colorado State had. I think there were, like, three pass interference calls on one mm-hmm. drive. I was just shocked, like how many there were. It was funny to watch the Toledo guys, like, "Come on!" You just see it in their body language, <laughs> like, "Again, again!" Like, and then after a play where they, it was finally like put their hands up and like, you know, I didn't commit pass interference. I promise. <laughs> just on, just on a play where they obviously didn't, just because they're so frustrated with the referees at that point. Right. But 
that being a side note, you know, as long as Utah State doesn't commit too many penalties, you know, despite there being a lot of weapons, I think they can contain them enough, especially when they're at home. Though I still think Colorado State is, you know, very much a threat to score around 30 points. Just when you look at some of the matchups they have, especially at wide receiver. But the difference with this defense, uh, this matchup, the Utah State defense versus the Colorado State offense, mm-hmm. is that I feel like, especially if Kinsey's out, Patrick O'Brien will get yards. I think he'll surpass 300 yards, especially since he's probably going to throw the ball a lot. But it's going to be one of those empty 300-yard games where, yeah, he got the stats, but he didn't make an impact on the game. Because that's what it felt like watching the Toledo game. He had all the stats, but I didn't see his impact in the game. So do you think they're actually going to hang around like for most of the first half into the you know beginning of the second half? Or do you think it's going to be a case where those, those stats are going to be so empty that really they don't come up many points on the board? I don't know. Utah State's going to pull away at some point, whether that's a fast start or just at some point they're going to score a lot of points. Because I think they're going to be up in the 50s. I, I, I would probably agree. Yeah, so it's just a matter of does Utah State score those points in the first half or in the second half? And I think Colorado State will probably get more points in the second half. So kind of to answer your question, I would lean more towards empty stats at the end of the game when it's like 55, you know, 30-something, and they maybe get an extra touchdown and make it like 55-38. Well, I don't even know if Colorado State will manage that many points. Yeah, I see. I kind of feel similarly to what I did uh, against San Diego State last week where I think they're going to have a hard time breaking 30, honestly. Yeah. I think it's going to be maybe they get just over, but I, I honestly, I think a lot of those stats will become empty and not lead to points. Yeah. Well, I think a, a halftime score where Utah State scored nearly 30 points and Colorado State's at like 17 or 20, mm-hmm. that's definitely not out of the question. Yeah, I could see that. Um so two things to bring up about Colorado State. We touched on it a little bit um, a minute ago with the penalties. Um, two things that they really need to shore up before this game if, if they think they're going to have any chances. The penalties right now, they're 91st in the nation in penalties per game, seven, uh, seven per game right now. Yeah. Not great. Um, and the second one being turnovers. Right now they're at a negative seven turnover margin for the season, third worst in all college football. So uh, – talk about turnovers last week with San Diego State being one of the best teams in the nation at a turnover margin and Utah State did a really good job at you know securing the ball so if, if Colorado State's just going to give Utah State a bunch of chances to have the ball and you know have short drives on defense probably not going to go in their favor yeah well you're looking at a team like Colorado State that's giving away 70 free yards a game and two turnovers a game on average yeah you like the chances <laughs> so it's entirely possible if we have lots of turnovers on Colorado State's part, it's entirely possible that Colorado State outgains Utah State despite getting outscored by what I would say is potentially 20 points or mm-hmm. more, which would be very interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's not the way you draw it up on the chalkboard. but No, it's not. But, you know, when you start your drives on your opponent's 40-yard line two or three times a game, that cuts out, you know, if we're talking about scoring drives, that cuts out about 120 yards. Yeah. And I mean, if we're talking about the uh, records watch, you know, getting Dominic Everly a chance to kick yeah. extra points and field goals to get a pretty good field position to start out with. Yeah. Maybe kick, you know, go like three and out on the 40 yard line, kick like a 50 yarder, like yeah. a 57 yarder. Yeah. Just for fun. Like, you know, when you're playing Madden as a kid and you're like, you're tired of scoring touchdowns against, you know, you're playing on easy or you're playing against a friend who doesn't play much. And so you're like, let me just see how far of a field goal I can kick. Yeah. Let's try a 70 yarder. Yeah. It's just like, what the heck? 
Let's see how it goes. So you, you bring up the, the spread, um, you know, how much you think they're going to win by, and you, you mentioned the 20 range, right? Have you seen the official spread yet? No, I have not. I was a little bit surprised when you said 20, and you were actually more accurate than I thought you would be. Right now the spread's 24. Okay. So, you know, maybe something like a 500-yard performance from Colorado State isn't out of the realm of possibilities, but probably points-wise, not looking good. Yeah, just because of turnovers, and Utah State has done pretty well in holding teams, at least, well, look at San Diego State, they did pretty well against Stony Brook, obviously, and just generally holding teams uh, out of the end zone. Do you want to take any guess to what the over-under is? For overall points? Overall points. <sighs> Somewhere in the 70s? You'd be right. I'm nodding my head for the for the podcast <laughs> listeners out there. Terrible producing on my part. Uh, I'd say like 73. I'll go with something like 72.5. that. 72.5. Look <laughs> at you. Like a genie over here in your lobster shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me magic powers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if 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 your kind of prediction of you know maybe a a fifty to thirty game somewhere around there, that's about about where it looks like it's going to end up. Yeah, that's that's a really good over under because I'm not entirely sure which I should pick. I'd probably lean more towards the over because I believe Utah State's going to score in the fifties. It's so hard to look at a, a, an over under of seventy two and pick the over, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, because I believe both these teams are going to put up some decent amount of points. Utah State's just going to run Colorado State out of the building. Any offense Utah, that Colorado State has is just going to be dwarfed by what Utah State does, at least in terms of points. Like I said, it is entirely possible for Colorado State to outgain Utah State. Not sure it'll happen because this is the best defense Colorado State's faced all year. Yeah. And the best offense. Yeah. So that's a bad combination for a team that's giving up 40 points on average, you know, almost 50 points on average to non-FCS teams this year. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just for a second before we wrap this up, let's not be so negative. Let's maybe give Colorado State fans, if they're listening, some hope and uh, take our homerism away maybe and say, do you think there's any way Colorado State can win this game or that maybe there's one thing that you see that might be an advantage in their favor? If they force turnovers. Hmm. Not looking so good on paper. No. And obviously they'd have to limit. They'd have to win the turnover battle probably by two or three turnovers. Yeah. So completely flipping the script, they'd have to be a lot more disciplined as far as penalties, or at least hope Utah State matches the number of penalties, so it kind of offsets each other. It might be interesting though. Generally, you know that that kind of has been a problem of Utah State's. Obviously, is is you know losing the turnover battle. So you think if you can kind of even things out in their favor, like you're saying, the penalties maybe about the same, turnovers maybe Colorado State's about the same or one up. Um, that does th- make things a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it does, and especially because I believe there's going to be a real mismatch as far as wide receivers. And if Patrick O'Brien proves me wrong a little bit and has a really good game and is impressive throwing the ball, yeah, that is the biggest weakness of Utah State right now is their pass defense. It's gotten a little better, especially with Cameron Haney coming back, but Cameron Haney's only 5'10". you got 5'9", DJ Williams, and you're rocking up against six foot two wide receivers and several of them. A lot of matchups. And if Kinsey does play, I don't think he will just because um, you look at his... Uh, yeah, separated shoulder, that's tough. Yeah, you, you look at sports reference, they bo- mentioned both Jackson and Kinsey as unlikely to play or yeah. unlikely to suit up, I think is what they said for Kinsey. So a, a lot of what I thought Colorado State's biggest advantage might be might not even play because Kinsey's a good running back. And like I said, I think he was the lifeblood of the team of the team against Toledo. Yeah. And now he's not there. Yeah. So that looks even more bleak. But, you know, if you can throw for if, if 
Patrick O'Brien manages to throw for 500 yards, there's a chance. I don't think he will, but you just have to hope for a really good game and really exploiting that wide receiver matchup and then getting lucky on some turnovers. Because if you can force Jordan Love into turnovers, yeah. he'll produce them for you. Yeah. But you also have to be a really good and really disciplined defense because Jordan Love doesn't throw turnovers to everybody. He throws them against teams that actually do their homework, do their job, and make him make mistakes. Well, and if you were to tell me that, you know, back-to-back games, San Diego State and Colorado State, San Diego State would, or excuse me, Colorado State would be the one to force the turnovers and not San Diego State, I wouldn't have bought that for any amount of money. So yeah. I, I think I think maybe that's going to be a tough ask for Colorado State. It's possible. I think Jordan Love might be a little more aggressive than he was just because the game plan might be, be a little more aggressive. So could be. It's possible he'll throw an interception just because he's willing to take a few more risks because he knows it's an opponent that is less likely to take advantage, but Colorado State could get lucky on a pass or two. Sure. All right, well, uh, I think that about does it for us this week and uh, the Colorado State game. Hope everyone turns out for that one, even though it might be a rainy game. Um, still be a fun matchup to check out. Got to kind of savor the warm weather games for the most part, you know, at this part, part in the year until yeah. it gets a little bit too cold. But um, a couple notes of housekeeping just before we wrap things up. Um if anybody's unaware, we do a post or a pregame show before every home football game. So Jason and I will be on USU Statesman's uh, Facebook account, and we will post that to Twitter as well. Um, doing a pregame show, so you can check that out a couple hours before kickoff. Um, kickoff set at five thirty right now. Um, so check us out there. Also check us out. Um, follows on Twitter. Uh, we will be doing live tweets as always. Um, and you know you can catch us there. The USU Statesman. You can catch me at DRen underscore Sports, and you can catch the Lobstered Man at <laughs> <laughs> at the Jaywalk sixty seven. All right, that's it for us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Quality content. You can only have can only have thirty seconds of this, but and welcome back to Michael McDonald Mondays here on Statesman Sports Test Podcast. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Yeah, I know. <laughs>